let's bow our heads for just a moment of silent prayer. Amen. I feel a little bit badly because I have been neglecting this church. We're holding meetings down in Fond du Lac, and it seems like I've been spending all my times either running down there or working on new sermons. I haven't preached a lot of evangelistic sermons. It's more sermons I have preached to you. But anyway, it's good to be here. It's good to see Rudy. And I, he came in this morning. I says, are you back permanent? He said, no, he's just visiting. I'm really glad Rudy's visiting. And it was good to have Shane up here telling the story. And I, as he was telling the story, I was watching Amanda praying for him. You were, weren't you? Bless your heart. Well, it's good to see you all. I uh, was talking to my daughter last night. Actually, my wife was talking to my daughter. We were driving home from uh, the meeting in Fond du Lac last night. And I heard my wife say to my daughter, here, talk to Dad. And she handed the phone to me. And just as I said hi on the phone, the phone went dead. And then traveling, you know, that will happen. So my wife redialed. And as soon as my daughter got back on the phone, I says, well, how come you talk to Mom? And as soon as you hear my voice, you hang up on me. And my daughter knows some of my favorite sermons. And she said, well, Dad, I was just giving you an opportunity to grow like you've been saying this sermon. So I thought I'd treat you bad so you could grow some more. <laughs> She's on top of stuff. Well, you heard that the uh, scripture was taken from the book of Philippians. I hope this afternoon you'll go home and you'll read the whole book of Philippians, which is not very hard to do because there's only four chapters in it. But read the whole book several times. One of the favorite texts is in, that's in there. In fact, I'm going to show you several of them. Philippians chapter 1. I love this one, verse 6. I'm going to give you time to look at it because this is a wonderful text, isn't it? Philippians 1, 6. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. How many think that's good encouragement? Now, the text that was read is found in chapter 2. It's uh, verse 12, one that made me want to preach on this today. Wherefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed me, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's a puzzle. Verse 13, for it is God working in you, both the will and the do of his good pleasure. So in chapter 1, verse 6, he says, he that started good works is going to complete it. You get over to chapter 2, verse 12 and 13, we have something to do to cooperate with God. Then when you get into chapter 3, in verse 12, it says, Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may be apprehended for that which I am apprehended also of Christ. Brethren, I count myself not to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching toward things which are before. Verse 14, I press toward the mark of the prize, the high calling God. Is God working in him here in Philippians? And he's cooperating, he's pressing toward the mark. And then when you get into chapter 4, verse 13, he's starting to learn because he says, I can do how many things through Christ who strengthens me? I can do all things. Now, the text that I want you to look at is the one that puzzled me, that got me into this. And it's the one in chapter 2, verse 12, that says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And I remember the days when I was called poor, and I still didn't understand the doctrine of righteousness by faith. And I would come across some good Baptist people as I was knocking on doors. 
And they would try to tell me that I didn't have to keep the law to be saved. I was saved by grace. They would show me some text, and I would refer to this one. I said, well, wait a minute. Doesn't the Bible say in Philippians 2.12, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling? And then I got to understanding the doctrine of righteousness by faith more, and I was looking in Ephesians chapter 2, 8, and 9, and it says, not by works lest any man should boast. And, of course, my favorite chapter in the Bible is Titus chapter 3 and verse 5, and it says, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saves us. And so I begin to wonder, well, what did Paul mean here in Philippians 2 verse 12 when he says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And this morning, I want you to judge my sermon, and I want you to come to the conclusion, if I have found the right answer how to harmonize what Paul says in Philippians 2.12 with what he says in Ephesians 2.8 and 9 and Titus chapter 3, verse 5. But when, well, in my Bible, I turn the page. I'm still in chapter 2. Let's look at the last two verses of chapter 1, particularly verse 29. It says, For under you it is giving, given in behalf of Christ not only to believe on Him. How many know that we are to believe in Jesus? And the Bible says, He that believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So it is a privilege to believe in Jesus. Amen? How many believe that? And this text is talking about privileges. According to this verse, what is the next privilege here? After we believe in Him and know we have eternal life, what's the next privilege that God gives to His children? I didn't hear you because I have my my hearing aid up, so you're going to have to say it loud. What is the other privilege mentioned here in verse 29? To do what? How many like that part? How many like the word suffer when it applies to yourself? Not only to believe on Him, but to suffer for His sake. Now, I'll read verse 30. Having the same conflict, there it is, which you saw in me and now here to be in me. Verse chapter 2. If there therefore be any consolation, the suffering, consolation of Christ, if any comfort of love, If any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels of mercy, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord of one another. Verse 3, let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem the other better than themselves. How many think that's a little part of the suffering? He's better than me. Verse 4, look not every man in his own things. In other words, don't be just concerned about your own affairs and your own life. Be concerned about other people. Care about what's going on in other people's mind. And then you come to verse 5, and it says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, you get the context here. God is working in you. He that started good work is going to complete it. He not only gives you the privilege to believe in Him, but He gives you the privilege of suffering for His sake. Then there's consolation and you help each other and you take and consider other people's stuff and you be concerned for their affairs. You don't let anything be done through strife or vainglory. And then you get to verse 5 and it says, Let this mind be in you which is in Christ Jesus. What's the context of this? You read the next few verses and in verse 6 it says, Who, being in the very form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, When you say the word Jesus, are you also referring to God? Was Jesus God? You go back to John chapter 1 and it says in verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
And all things that were made were made by him. And without him, there was not anything that was made that was made. You get down to verse 14. It says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory even as the only begotten of the Son. So when we are referring to Jesus, are we referring to God? Now let me ask you a question. Think of of the scenes at Christmas. Do you suppose God ever had to have his mother change his diaper? Did you ever think it like that? Jesus was a baby and went through all the things that babies go through. And Mary, I mean, well, they didn't have diapers, swaddling clothes, rags. Jesus had to clean him up. Did Jesus ever have to, did God ever have to be burped over his mommy's shoulder after he got done eating? Did God ever have to have his mommy take a piece of sawdust out of his eye when he was working with his earthly dad out in the carpenter shop? Did God ever have to come to mommy to get a sliver taken out of his finger? Was that little baby that was born in a barn with cows, was that God? The man who was stripped naked of his clothes and nailed up in public view, beaten within an inch of his life and left to hang there on the cross until he died, was that God? That was God. Let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God, thought it not a robbery to be equal with God. Verse 7. But made himself of no reputation, took upon himself the form of a servant, and the word servant can also... A servant is usually a paid help, but in the Bible the servant also refers to a slave. And a slave was just about the lowest class of humans that, that there could be, and Jesus was treated like a slave because... You didn't have to ask the, the authorities if you could kill your slave in the Roman Empire. He took upon himself the slave, was made in the likeness of men. It says that men were made lower than angels, and Jesus is the archangel, and he made himself lower than the things that he created, and he came as a man, and he was put in the lowest place of a man. Verse 8, And being found in the fashion of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death. Not just any death, but the cruelest kind of death that one human can afflict upon the other, and that is the death of crucifixion. When you get home, I want you to try something. I want you to go up and stand against the wall, not with your back to the wall, but with your side against the wall, and get your feet just as close to the wall as you can get without falling over. You can't get them completely there. But my understanding from the things that I have read, that when they nailed him to the cross, they put the nail between their their heel bone and their Achilles tendon, which had a tendency to hold them there, and they nailed their feet side by side. Now, I'd always thought through the front, but in, they look at the skeletons they find, and it looked like this way, and then they would make them bend their knees so that their weight was not being held by lock in their knees, but their weight was being held by the muscles in the front, and they'd have their knees bent like this, and then they would twist them so that their feet were this way and the rest of their body was this way and they nailed their hands so they couldn't stand up. How long for you to have a charley horse your legs? I have tried standing there and you can't stand there very long. You fall over. It is, it is agonizing just the position that it looks like they put him in. And so here is God who has all the power and he said to the disciples when they came to take him, put away your sword. If I needed to, I could call thousands of angels. They could come to my side. Jesus submitted himself to this, why? Because he knew the only way that you and I could have salvation was for him to go through 
what he and the Father had planned that he would go through if sin should come in. He would pay our price. Are you with me? Let this mind be in you which was on Christ Jesus. Then verse 9, 10, and 11 is talking about the fact that he is going to be exalted. And in verse 11 it says that every tongue should confess Jesus Christ as Lord to the glory of God the Father. Then you come to verse 12. Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not only is my presence only, but much now more in my absence. Obey what? And we look at this and we're thinking about working out your own salvation, obey everything. But the context of this is to obey that you have the same mind in you that Jesus had in him. So that when you are receiving the privilege that we as human beings don't think is a privilege, also to suffer for his sake, and we put the same mind, we think, I have been called and it's been given me a privilege that I should suffer for his sake. Now, if you read in the book Desire of Ages, it said that when Jesus was on the cross, absolutely Satan, how many know that Satan was tempting? And it says there in Desire of Ages that Satan was allowed to test Jesus to the uttermost. And one of the thoughts that Satan kept putting in Jesus' mind was, you'd better come down from the cross. That's what the people going by were, were mocking. If you're the Christ, save yourself. And how many know that the devil wanted Jesus to save himself? Now, we think it was the devil's will for Jesus to die. That wasn't Satan's plan. Satan's plan was for, to torment Jesus so badly that he would finally use his divine power to, to save himself. And you see the temptation when Jesus was up on the mountain and Satan came along and says, why don't you turn these stones to bread? Could Jesus have done that? Why didn't he do that? Because Jesus' will, Jesus' plan was to live this life under the same rules that you and I have to live. And if you and I could not change stones to bread, then Jesus wouldn't do it for himself. Now, he would do it for other people, and he would turn water to wine for other people, but Jesus would never use his divine power to aid his humanity because you and I do not have it, and Jesus made up his mind, I'm going to live by the same rules and regulations that my creatures have to live by. And Satan knew this, and he had those people saying, if you're the Christ, save yourself. And he had the the, the bad thief, save yourself if you're really the Christ. And human mind think, yes, he could do that. But he couldn't do that and save you and I. And how many know Satan didn't really want Jesus to die. Satan wanted Jesus to come off the cross because he knew if Jesus came off the cross, the world would belong to Satan because Jesus had to make the sacrifice to save the world. Amen? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. So Jesus did not use his divine power to aid himself. He used it for others. He never used it for himself. Amen? Let this mind be in you what you was in Christ Jesus. When you are given the privilege of suffering for Jesus, what do you do? Now, I've already said that Satan was tormenting Jesus with the thought, if you go through with this, you have become so identified with sin that you'll never be acceptable back with the Father again. If you stay on the cross and you died, because remember it says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, talking of God the Father, it says he made him, talking of Jesus, to be sin for us. And when Jesus gave that beautiful text that we read, God so loved the world, just before that he says, as Moses lifted up the snake, so the Son of God will be lifted up. And those of you who know old medical history 
one of the symbols, I remember when I used to go into the clinic where my dad worked, and on the floor there in the tile was a pole that had a snake around it. And I thought, what's that doing here in in the clinic where my dad works? Well, it was because back in those days, people still recognized, you know the story, they were bitten by the snakes, and God says, put a brazen serpent on the pole, those who look at the serpent will be healed. And that serpent became a form of Jesus. Now, we know the serpent's old Satan called the devil and Satan. But when Jesus was on the cross, the Father had laid so much sin on the Father, on Jesus, he laid all of our sins on the Jesus, that for a while when Jesus was on the cross, he became identified with the serpent because all sin was laid on Jesus and Satan was tormenting Jesus with a thought. You have become so identified with sin, there's so much sin on you, that if you go through with this and you die, you'll never be in heaven again. You'll never see your father again. It will be permanent. How many have read that in Desire of Ages, that that's what Satan told Jesus? It'll be permanent. And you see, when you and I are called up on to suffer, what Satan wants us to do is so focus our mind on what we're going through that we take our mind off of Jesus. Amen? But when you read Desire of Ages, it says that while Jesus was on the cross... And Satan was tormenting him with all of these thoughts. It says in there that Jesus was acquainted with the promises of his father. And though he felt lost, he refused to believe it because he took, and you should say this before, but he grabbed his brain by the back of its neck and says, we are not going to think about what Satan's trying to get me to think about. I'm going to think about God. And you know plainly, just a few hours before, Jesus was prophesying his own second coming. You will see the Son of Man coming in power and great glory. And how many of you know that there's times that you're spiritually high, and then there's times that you're spiritually low? How many know that that is just part of the Christian life? And I used to think, Lord, wouldn't it be wonderful if I could be high all of the time, high spiritually? How many think that would be wonderful if you high spiritually? Well, I can see my hand is up, but I see some of your hands up. But do you know that that is not God's will? How many like me telling you that? In the book, Ministry of Healing, I've, I've recommended this to many of you to read it, the chapter called In Contact with Others. And in that, and in the chapter just before that, it's talking about the children of Israel. And they say, if God is with us, why do all these trials come upon us? How many have ever asked that? I'm a Christian. I've given myself to God. Why am I having so much trouble? Listen to what it says. If God is with us, why do all these things come upon us? Very next sentence. It is because God is with you that these things come upon you because it's trials and tribulations are God's appointed means to perfect our character. And we know, I have already read this, where Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, I'm not already perfect, but this one thing I do, I press toward the mark of the high calling of God. So what Jesus did and what he recommends that you do is that while you are on the low times of your life, rather than thinking about the low times of your life, you do what Jesus did. You focus your attention on Jesus' promises. Are you with me? And it says of Jesus... He was acquainted with his father. He was acquainted with his mercies. And though he felt lost and though everything looked like it was hopeless, he felt lost. He wouldn't believe it. He would not believe all of the evidences that were there that he was in a hopeless situation. And he says, my God is able to do what he says he's going to do. And when you read Philippians 1, 6, and it says, I'm persuaded that he that started a good work in you is able to complete it. Then when you get down to chapter 2 and verse 12, it says, God is working you. How is God working in you with you? 
How is he working in you to do and to will of his good pleasure? By the way, what is God's good pleasure? That we get down to chapter 4, verse 13, I can do all things through Christ. How does God bring us to the place that we can do all things through Christ? He lets us go through these th- the down times. And when we're in the down times, he wants us to learn. Well, let me tell you what he wants us to learn. Go back and look at that verse that got me started in this. Work out your own salvation. Now, how many have looked at the title of the sermon in the bulletin? Give your soul a good, brisk workout. And I'll tell you, one of the hardest things I have ever done, and I'm guessing it'll be one of the hardest things that you have ever done, and that is when you're going through all this and you're being being treated unkindly, you're being treated unfairly, and how many know when those things are happening, and I told you a story a few weeks ago about the time I... I won't won't get into it again, but I thought I had money to pay my taxes. Then I found out because of the Pathfinder Club. How many remember that story? I didn't have the money to pay my taxes. And so I was all mad because, you know, I studied in college about the one thing that couples fight about more than anything else is money. And we were going back and forth this thing. And I started learning this lesson right then because the Holy Spirit came along and tried to get my mind off of what had happened to me. And how many knows? When you're treated unfairly and unkindly, to take your mind off it is one of the hardest struggles that we have. How many know I'm telling you the truth? Somebody's done something, you think about it, you think about getting even with them, how unfair they are, and I have tried to take my mind off of it and believe you me when it says work. This is some of the hardest. I see some of you smiling. How many agree with me? This is some of the hardest work it is, and I said this before, but when you're in a good pout and you think you deserve it, you don't want anybody interfering with you. I deserve, to be, I deserve to be mad, and I'm going to enjoy my pout. Just leave me alone. Well, I see heads going up and down. I guess I'm not too off the mark, am I? Right here is how you work out your own salvation. Because you see, I looked at that, your own salvation. How did it become your own salvation? Did you work for it, or was it a gift? You see, if you work for something, it's not a gift. It's your wages. Amen? Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. That's what we get. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Again, not by works of righteousness which we've done, but according to His mercy He saves us. Philippians 2, 8 and 9, not of works lest any man should boast. It is the gift of God. So you're not working for your salvation, but you take the salvation that God has already given you and you begin to work that out. And so what you do is rather than the bad stuff that's going on in your mind because of what someone's done to you, you use your willpower. And I see you shaking your head right. You use your willpower to say, I am not going to think about what's been done to me. I am not going to think about what's said to me. I'm not going to think about the people who are mocking me and, and beating me. I'm not going to think about that. I am instead, I am going to think about the salvation. I'm going to think about the promises of God instead of all these things that's going on. Now, how many think that Pastor Stoffer maybe has found the key to understand this text? Work out your own salvation. It is yours because it's a gift. But when your tempt, Satan is tempting you not to think about it, you take it out, you use your willpower, you grit your teeth, and you say, I'm going to think about it anyway. How many of you have ever heard me say this to you before? I'm going to think about this. I'm not going to think about the wrong things in life. I'm not going to think about the unfairness. I'm not going to think about my hurt. And I told you about the time I had a toothache, didn't I? Ooh, I don't touch that. How many were here when I told about my toothache? Nobody's heard about my toothache? 
Oh my, where have I been? I love to talk about my aches and pains. That's something that old people do. I had a toothache once, and I'm the kind of person that uh, I only go to the doctor when it hurts worse not to go to the doctor. In other words, I've got to be in pain before I'll go and let them inflict more pain on me. And I, had, I knew I had a cavity, and I went to see the dentist. Haven't you heard this story before? My story. Well, here it is. Oh, you have, because I told it at your house. All right. Anyway, I went to the dentist. He looked. He says, you kind of let that go, didn't you? I says, yeah, I did. I didn't tell him why. But uh, I thought, as long as it doesn't hurt, it's okay. I could feel the hole up there. Anyway, I went to see him, and he said, well, I'm going to try to save that tooth if I can. So he did the drilled it all out, and he packed it with a temporary feeling. He says, now, if the, if the decay has gone up in the root, it'll start hurting again, and you'll come back tomorrow, and I'll have to pull it. And he says, if it's up there, it's going to start hurting before tomorrow. And he was right. But I didn't think I'd waited that long, and so I wasn't worried. That was Friday. And I was holding evangelistics, and I had three churches, but I wasn't preaching in each church one Sabbath. I preached in all three of them, one in the morning, two in the afternoon, then I'd go back to another and preach at night. And by 3 o'clock on Sabbath morning, I knew I was going to have to get that tooth pulled, but I couldn't go back that day. Cause, and, it just, and by the time I got to church to preach, it just hammered. How many ever had a really bad toothache? Would you believe it? While I was preaching, I was not aware of the pain because I, I had to. I had to take my mind off my pain, off feeling sorry for myself, and put it on the Word of God. And I have discovered that when, when you have nice, happy things in your mind, doesn't the Bible say, a merry heart doeth good like a medicine? It might even do good like a sedative. It might even do, do good like an aspirin. A merry heart. I know I've said this to you before. How many have ever been doing something, working away, and you're really interested in it, and somebody comes along and says, oh, you cut yourself. And you didn't even know you'd cut yourself. And then you look and you see the blood and then it starts to hurt because your mind was so off on something else. Amen? And so this is what God is saying. You take your mind and you start putting your mind on God's gift of salvation and no matter what you're going through, no matter how bad it is, you put your mind on God and you can come up with this neat little phrase, it's going to be all right. I don't know how soon it's going to be all right, but it's going to be all right. 1987, how many years ago was that? 25, wasn't it? My wife had been to the doctor. She came back and says, the doctor says, you have cancer. And people would come to me, my church members, and say, how's your wife? And I said, my wife is going to be all right. I just don't know when. It might not be till the erection, but my wife is going to be all right. Now, they caught it so early that they didn't have to give her chemo they get an operation. They took it all out. That was 27, 25 years ago, and there hasn't been any problems since. Praise the Lord for that. And I heard a, a, a guy come to church one day, and his wife was the same situation as one mine, and the, do, and the preacher said, uh, how's your wife? He says, well, it's benign. Isn't God good? Yes, said the pastor. But if it was malignant and your wife only had two weeks to live, God would still be good. Isn't that true? And you've heard me talk about this before. Why? Because no matter what you're going through, even if the doctor says it's terminal and you've got two weeks to live, you can say, it's still going to be all right. Amen? How many can see that that's working, taking your salvation and working your salvation out? Amen? And I believe that's what it means to take your salvation out. And when you are going through the worst things you can possibly go through, and when people are mocking you and you're going through that, cruelty that it's talking about, that it says it's a privilege to go through. 
Maybe that will force you to go through your salvation and take your salvation and work it out. Amen? Now, we're still in Philippians, and we're still talking. Can you see the whole book of Philippians? Is God working in us? He lets the trouble, let this mind be in you when you're going through trouble, work out your salvation. Look at the rest of those verses there. I've already referred you to verse 13 of chapter 2, but look what it says. For it is God which works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. He's letting these things happen to you to drive you closer to him. All right? And you've heard me talk about Joseph, thrown in the pit, sold to the Ishmaelites, sold to Potiphar, lied about by Potiphar's wife, thrown in prison. And finally, at the end, Joseph could look back and he could say, the reason I'm in this privileged position right now is because God was working through all of these things to put me right here. Amen? And so you work out your salvation. Say, God has said that he that started a good work in you is going to complete it. And this is part of what God does to get me where he wants me to be. Verse 13, For it is God which works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And so when you're going through this, verse 14, do all things without what? I want you to look at your Bible. Do all things without what? I'm not looking. Without murmurings and disputings. All right? In, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God. How many have ever sung that song? Boy, I'm a bad pastor. I need to teach you this stuff. Verse 15. Do all things without murmuring, without disputing, without complaining, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crook and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. How many have heard me say, I, I keep thinking I've preached all these sermons someplace else because you don't remember any of them. But how many have heard me say, it's when we're going through hard times that we have the greatest opportunity to witness. And the people who are causing us the pain are the ones that we have the greatest opportunity to witness to. Just like Jesus witnessed to the people who were crucifying him. Which I think is the reason that the thief, the one thief says, this is the son of God. Because he saw how Jesus treated the people who were being mean to him. So when you're going through hard times, think, I have an opportunity right here to witness. Amen. Because if you act the way that Jesus did and say, Father, forgive them. And you stay, you're down and you use your down as an opportunity to get back up again, and I keep rejoicing in the Lord. Let's go to chapter 4. I've only got five minutes left. Now, I know we have done this one, but remember you have sung the song in Philippians 4.4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let's do that right now. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice, again I say rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice, again I say rejoice. Now this is interesting because it's talking about going through hard times. It talks about Jesus being persecuted. It talks about God working in us and using the problems we go through to work in us. And then it says rejoice. Does anybody remember what it is you're supposed to rejoice about? Because you've all sung the song. I see you all shaking. You know, what are we supposed to rejoice about? And I know I've told you this before. Does anybody know what you're supposed to rejoice about? Yeah, the last few words of verse 3. Whose names are written in the book of life. How many can think of anything better to rejoice about but knowing my name is written in the book of life? And whatever you're going through, you can rejoice. So let's sing it that way. Rejoice in the Lord always, my name is in his book. Rejoice in the Lord always, my name is in his book. 
Rejoice, rejoice, my name is in his book. Rejoice, rejoice, my name is in his book. How many like that? How many can see that that's working out your own salvation with fear and trembling because God is using his word to cleanse you? Amen? Now, let me read some more of chapter 4. How many want to go home and read all of Philippians three or four times this afternoon? Isn't this a good book? All right. Uh, Let your moderation, I'm in verse 5. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Verse 6. Be careful for nothing. Now, that doesn't be careless, but don't worry about stuff. That's the kind of careful it's talking about. Oh, man, okay. Because it's going to be all right. You know that, don't you? Let your moderation be careful nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. And with thanksgiving, let your requests be known unto God. Verse 7. And the peace of God. If you keep rejoicing, you're working out your salvation by looking at what he's got. And the peace of God which passes, how much understanding? All of it. How in the world can you keep calm in this situation? Because I know it's in God's hands. And even though this is something bad, God is going to use it for my good. Amen? And the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and your minds through Christ. Let's sing that one too, all right? And the peace of God will keep your hearts and minds. And the peace of God will keep your hearts and minds. Through Christ, through Christ, he'll keep your hearts and minds. Through Christ, through Christ, he'll keep your hearts and minds. How many think this is good? Now, finally, brother. Now, he's coming to the end of this. Of course, after he says finally, like all preachers do, he thinks of some more stuff to say after he says finally. But finally, verse 8, brethren, read it out loud with me. If you don't have a King James, you can still read out loud, but a little bit softer, because I have a King James. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. And how many recognize that making yourself think about these things takes an act of your will? Work out your own salvation. Take it out of wherever you keep it. Bring it to the front of your mind. Exercise it. Squeeze it. And get yourself back on top. You don't have to wait until the bad times are over to get on top. You can use the bad times as a springboard to get back on top. And I believe that those people who are the remnant, and that's the purpose for the existence of this church, to bring about a group of people in this world who are the remnant. Amen? How do the remnant become the remnant? Whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever... They don't let Satan influence their thoughts anymore because they have something so much better to think about. And then you come down here, the last part of chapter 4, verse 11. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I've learned in whatsoever state I'm in, I am, what? Therewith be content. Now, I hate to tell you this, but Wisconsin's not my favorite state. And Texas isn't either. Neither is Wyoming. You want me to tell you what my favorite state is? Matrimony. <laughs> Whatsoever state I'm in, be content. When I went to Texas, I, I really missed Wisconsin when I moved down there. And people says, well, how do you like Texas? And I read this, whatsoever state I'm in, there would be content. <laughs> Verse 12, I know, especially in the summertime, I know both how to be abased, I know how to be put down, I know how to abound. 
Everywhere in all things, I am instructed to be both full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I'm content in whatever situation. Verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Let's bow our heads. Dear Jesus in heaven, you have said that it's your word that makes us clean. And Father, we know that there are so many things that Satan uses to get our attention off the word of God and off the things that Jesus has done for us. But let us obey what the Bible says we should obey, not only when we feel your presence, but when we don't feel your presence. Let us take out our salvation and work it out, knowing that while we're going, whatever we're going through, if we hang on to our salvation, if we rejoice evermore, if we thank you for your gifts, then whatever we go through will just make us like Jesus and strengthen us. And that one day soon, when the world is going through the worst time the world has ever gone through, we'll have become strong in Jesus and we will be able to do all things through Christ who strengthens us. This is my prayer for us all today in Jesus' name. Amen. Dear Father in heaven, help us to know that the joy that we are going to experience in heaven, we don't have to wait until we get to heaven. We can have that joy now. And the reason you ask us to give up things because they just interfere with our relationship with Jesus. And Jesus, when we're going through hard things, help us to look at those things as if it's a privilege and it will help me come closer to Jesus. This is my prayer for myself and each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen.